Dying for the O'Brien. I'm your host, Brent Vastminer, joined here once again by Quentin Cools. And Quinn, this week we've got a hardened size headache for the 76ers. The poor Sixers fan base, they lived through the Ben Simmons saga, watched all that drama unfold. And this week, the 76ers announced that they are not planning on trading James Harden before the season and are planning on bringing him into training camp. And then coincidentally, of course, very soon after that, it leaked from Harden's camp that he has no plans to attend training camp at all. And so as Daryl Morey and the 76ers stare down another showdown with an all-star, what should the Sixer fan base be thinking about their hopes for a championship? <laughs> oh, man. Um, it's a good thing this is a clean podcast um, because like, there's some words for James Harden um, that that guy is a little punk, and um, and I think that he's he's so good at basketball though, and so uh, I think Maury's doing the right thing. I think you want to keep him around. I think that his pairing with uh, with Joel is is excellent, and I think that um, I think that without him, it, it, you know, you end up with ending, you know, you you lose Embiid at some point, right? So so if they're going to win a championship. It needs to be with Harden unless they can get an upgrade at that position. And you know that that's exactly what Daryl Moore is looking for. And so um, is he going to show up at camp? I can't predict that. Um, is he going to end up playing with with uh, with the team this year? I would think so. I would think so. Um, you know, he, he has money on the table. He has, um, you know, aspirations for a championship, which has been elusive in his career so far. Um, so I, you know, Sixers fans don't, don't lose hope. You, you have a player who just two seasons ago was a first team all NBA guy who was a borderline all-star this year. Um, he's consistently still putting up, you know, kind of a 20 and 10 stat line with 38% three point shooting. Like this guy's good. And he's a great pairing with, uh, with your, your, your star MVP. So yeah, I think they'll be all right, but it is a drama factory to be sure. Yeah, I'm so confused if I'm hardened because his camp made it known that his desired destination for the Clippers, which in my opinion is super similar to the 76ers as far as a team that really shows out in the regular season and then the wheels fall off at some point during the playoffs, at least to the 76ers credit, even though he struggled a lot with injuries, Joel Embiid has been around for their playoff series in recent years and, and shown a lot of good work in the playoffs. If you're the Clippers, on the other hand, they've got a great team on paper. But of course, like we've talked about, when the playoffs come, they've been able to assemble their best players to play. And so if I'm Harden, I'm thinking there's actually a really good chance I can make a deep run, even though there are is Boston, of course, waiting in the East. But to be kind of giving some compassion to James Harden, I will say at least he has a little more right to gripe than the previous All-Star from the 76ers who tried to do this drama, and that was Ben Simmons. Because I felt like Ben Simmons had just no room to gripe. Like, I get it. He made an all-defensive team, an all-NBA team. Um, but just as far as, like, his ability to raise the level of the team he's around, I mean, Simmons, you know, no surprise. I'm not crazy about him and his effect on the teams he's played on. And so I guess at this point, at least Harden has demonstrated that he can be a great player. But you just hate to see players burning through teams, you know, James burned his way out of Houston and then burned his way out of Brooklyn and now he's trying to burn his way out of Sixers and I just think we've we've riffed on player over empowerment before but you know these owners and these front offices Quinn just have to be tired of spending all this money and drama to, to get these guys and then sometimes before the season's out with them they're unhappy yeah man 
It is. It's a tough one, and it's and what we're seeing is it's not just for uh, small market teams. Like you've got teams like Brooklyn and Philly, which in terms of like cities in the United States, those are two of the top five most populous cities with incredible you know marketing contracts with their teams and so forth. Like they've they've got it, and yet they're still experiencing this kind of player empowerment era, and it is a tough one, whatever team you are. Yeah, I will say I trust Daryl Morey. We saw how he handled himself during all the Simmons drama, and I really thought he really put the team first throughout that whole saga. And so even though he's closer relationally um, with that history with Harden in Houston, I really do trust, if I'm a 76ers fan, um, Morey to do what is right for the team, and I think that's got to be comforting for 76ers fans. Speaking about fan bases, the Laker fan base, I guess, must be excited if you're an Anthony Davis fan, because Anthony Davis absolutely got the bag, Quinn. A $186 million three-year extension with the Lakers, which will have him one of those seasons being a $62 million year for Anthony Davis. Lakers trying to lock in AD for the next three years as one of their signature stars for the team, but when you have a resume as unstable and an availability as unstable like Anthony Davis, if I'm the Lakers, I'm wondering if we're going to see prime AD in the playoffs again. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, Anthony Davis is uh, a generational talent. When he's healthy, when he's uh, playing on the floor, he he can play both ends of the floor and at a, at an elite level. And I think when you look around the league and you say, who's your go-to defensive anchor and who's your go-to scorer? And is that the same person? (laughs) Like, that's so rare. Like, that's, you know, LeBron, that's Kawhi. Um, But, you know, beyond that, like, like who in the league has, like, elite – I mean, Durant, when he wants to put his mind to it defensively, I suppose, but, like – there's not a whole lot of guys that just like are going to be a stalwart on, on both ends. And Davis is that. And by the way, he's a seven foot guy. So that that's incredibly valuable, especially for the Lakers with an aging LeBron and kind of a malleable team around him. Like they're going to be able to, to shape this uh, particular team around Davis. If Davis stays, stays healthy and if they keep on kind of building with the core that they have, but honestly, what they're saying here is the our only hope uh, for pursuing another championship is through Anthony Davis. So it took all of you know five seconds for his eligibility for them to go ahead and get this deal done, and I think it was the right decision. Yeah, I mean, especially that 2020 bubble, getting to see what AD did, he really was you know everything they had hoped for that he could be. And so if they can kind of tap that potential again, if they can keep him healthy, like you said, Quinn, he's an incredible player. I used to watch him in New Orleans when he played for the Pelicans and I was living in New Orleans and he's just otherworldly. He's kind of have that kind of modern big man, kind of like we talk about almost some with Bam, but obviously even better than Bam, where you're the big, um, but also you kind of have some guard handles and you can pull it from anywhere in the court and you can knock down the three and the post game is crazy. And so it'd be really interesting to see three years from now if this contract um, seems like it was a worthy investment in a player who has struggled heavily um, his entire career on both of his teams with injuries. Moving to another edition of This Week in NBA History, Quinn. 
three years ago was the debut of the NBA play-in game. So the NBA, of course, had been um, on stall because of the COVID pandemic, and they introduced a new segment that has continued now for the past three years, and that's the play-in game. So basically, teams that previously would have been already headed off to Cancun, Quinn, they get a chance to fight each other to see if they can sneak into the playoffs, even if they're a 9 or a 10 seed. And so on August 15th in 2020, Dame Lillard from the Portland Trailblazers scored 31 points, CJ dropped 29, and the Blazers beat the Grizzlies 126 to 122 in the first inaugural week of the play-in game, and they clinched the final play-in spot. Kind of looking back now, um, three years later, what do you think about the play-in game and what it's added to the game? Yeah, I mean, that was back when the Blazers had Carmelo Anthony scoring 20 points off the bench. So um, it was a different time for sure. Um, I, uh, I, I, I'd I say I'd have two main ideas when it comes to the play-in. On the one hand, I think that it's ridiculous that 10 teams in the West and 10 teams in the East, so two-thirds of the league, has a chance at the end of the season to to make that run toward the trophy, and I, I think that I think that that should be more limited. And I think that the eight and eight that we've previously had is probably a better model for that. Uh, it's closer to half the league as opposed to closer to two thirds of the league, and I think that that's better. But here's the other thing. The other thing is I I love it. I really enjoy it. Like. Like when it comes time uh, for the play-in games, like it matters. Those games really matter. You see, you see certain teams that that don't show, like the Chicago Bulls, and you see some teams who show out, like the Miami Heat, and it is awesome. And you can see somebody go from a super low seed all the way through to the semifinals and the conference finals, all the way to the finals, the NBA finals. And I and I just think that that's wonderful for fans right so for fans to be able to tune into a game that has such high stakes um, I think that's super fun and so I think it's probably here to stay I think it's a good money move for the league I think uh, it gives teams more chances Um, it allows my blazers a little bit more uh, maneuverability so that we can tank at the end of the last couple seasons and uh, while other teams are, are still thinking they have a shot at the play and we're going the other way and looking for that high draft pick so that's been successful for us um, but but I actually do like it I don't I don't know that I you know I, I think it's the wisest move but it's the funnest move yeah if you're in purely looking at the dollar value which of course we know the NBA is looking at you're wanting to have more high rating games you're wanting to have closer games and the plan I feel like really has added that because of course beyond just the playing games themselves which we know we can get very emotional exciting you know roll the clip of Patrick Beverly pulling off his jersey and throwing it to the crowd and weeping after he beat the Clippers in the playing game that one time um, but additionally of course like you said it keeps more teams in the hunt for the playoffs and avoids a good chunk of the league reverting to chasing the ping pong balls and I so I think that's so helpful because whenever you get to late in the season and in the old days you know you had these you know, separation between the eighth seed and the ninth seed. And so you had the nine, 10 and and the seeds below them all suddenly trying to take L's everywhere they went. And it just made for really bad basketball. So it felt like there would be this lull where, 
you know, after the All-Star break, a good, you know, third of the league started trying to lose games. And so you, you know, were forced to wait until the playoffs when you could go back to competitive games. And so I think, you know, we talk about, you know, who's the, the big winner of the play-in game. I think it's League Pass. I think it keeps quality games on League yeah, Pass yeah. late in the season because, man, like, as someone who my team has been in the hunt for the lottery a lot of the years I've been alive and the 26 years I've been alive, I love to see teams flirting with the playing game late in the season because I think it gives these guys a chance of something to be proud about. And so props off to the NBA for implementing something that I feel like has helped the game all around. Other things that happened this week was last night was the annual Hall of Fame induction. And this year, Quinn, we got quite the load of players, players that I know you and I grew up watching. Um, I remember going to Magic Games um, when these players would come to town and they were some of my favorite players to watch just because of just the magic they provided, no pun intended, on my team name. But we had Dirk Nowinski, Dwayne Wade, Pau Gasol, Tony Parker, Greg Popovich, and Becky Hammond, among others, who were inducted into the Hall of Fame. And a crew like this, it always yields some sweet moments, some funny moments, some spicy moments. And this year's Hall of Fame induction um, really stuck out as a really unique one here as far as just generational players, especially like Dirk and D. Wade, were inducted into the Hall of Fame. Absolutely incredible Hall of Fame class, right? Like these these guys are the epitome of excellence when it comes to NBA basketball. And I love seeing how they also represent the expansion of the league to to have so many excellent international players. Like we see that today, like 2023, that, that's obvious, right? You have guys like Giannis and... Jokic and Embiid and so forth. Um, I mean, you could go Luca. You could go, you know, to a bunch of different guys that are just showing out in the league year over year and being the best players. Um, but for a long time, that wasn't the case. It was it was mostly American players. And I think that this era ushered in kind of this this new class. And so when you when you see guys like Dirk and Pow and Tony Parker, like. These are guys that that really embody excellence in their craft, but also come from very diverse backgrounds uh, the world over. And so I, I think it's super fun to to certainly be at an age where these are the players that I grew up with. It's also a little sad. Like there there's there's a there's a part of me that just you know I want to see another Dirk step back off of one foot. You know I want to see another you know Tony Parker you know layup. I, I want to see another you know, Pau Gasol kind of hook shot. Like I, I, I love these players, um, but it's the end of an era for them. And, you know, whether they were drafted in the nineties, like Dirk or uh, early two thousands, like, like Tony Parker, um, you just see year over year over year success, championships, all-star games, uh, tons of records, team records, uh, NBA records. So um, amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, some of my favorite moments last night was when D. Wade shouted at his dad and had his dad come up on stage and gave him a hug and was like, dog, we're, we're in the Hall of Fame. And just for him to recognize, obviously, just the integral role his dad played in, in raising him. And um, D. Wade credited his dad and his uncle for kind of modeling um, a really ferocious competitiveness for him. I thought that was really cool. I th- saw someone on social media kind of comparing... Um, Dwayne Wade's speech to Dirk's speech, which I thought was interesting. And they just noted that Dirk seemed to spend a lot of the time on his speech highlighting the people around him who set himself up to be legendary 
versus Dwayne Wade's speech focused more on his own individual journey um, growing up in Chicago and then his individual greatness. And I think that just kind of brings up a larger piece when we just talk about excellent athletes and the difference between athletes who feel like they need to be one of the main cheerleaders for their legacy versus players like Dirk, who I feel like who have allowed the people around him to kind of be the legacy holders. And then when he gets the opportunity to have a mic in front of him, he has took the time to spotlight those people around him. And I think there's something about that kind of humility that is just, I don't know, I think it's honorable. And I think it, it just encourages you as a fan to see someone who is willing to recognize it takes at least four other people on the basketball court at any time to hold a team together. And so while these individual players are great, D-Wade, incredible, generational, you know, Dirk, you know, generational, to win an NBA championship like D-Wade and Dirk both did, it takes other players. And I think I've always appreciated that about Novinsky, about his ability to credit the people around him um, versus some other players that I feel like are too prone to point the finger towards himself. Um, for instance, LeBron James saying that he went to the LeBron James of foot doctors that one time <laughs> recently. Um, I just think I love to see athletes who are quick to point to the people around them. And I think you saw that a lot with even like the Spurs family all taking turns shouting at each other. Dude, I, I love the Spurs family, man. Uh, I think I think most of us do. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you see in, in somebody like Wade, I mean, he had Allen Iverson up on stage and just kind of went on and on about man, AI, you were this, like you, you set the standard, like this is how you, you, you changed the game. And that's what I wanted to model myself after. And the key phrase that he used is that you, you defined for a generation uh, what self-expression as an athlete looks like. And uh, I couldn't help but think about the meta narrative just of, of just kind of culture today. Um, where we live in a culture where self-expression is everything, like live your truth, like, you know, wh whatever feels good is is good and right and true and whatever. And um, so there's there's definitely a, a, a twinge of that in uh, in Wade's approach. Um, but but yeah, I think what you what you love to see is the guys that recognize that they just wouldn't be here without family, without uh, coaches, without mentors, without uh, older players who who kind of help help them learn the ropes like for you know other players who 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 made them successful like Popovich man he he <laughs> the one word the one word that described why he was in the hall of fame it, he looks over at the 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 other players you know the Spurs class that's, that's sitting there on stage and he just says the one word is duh <laughs> and I just love that because that was just like, yeah, obviously, like if you have Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker and David Robinson, like, yeah, you're going to win. You're going to do well. But that's not to take away from Pop's greatness. I think Pop in and of himself, he's great, but he recognized he never would have, have reached the, 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 the stratosphere that he's at now if it wasn't for those players. Yeah, I mean, I think you saw it when Pau Gasol got up and just shouted out Kobe, um, rest in peace, and Gigi for a second, um, just yeah. saying, hey, man, I wouldn't be here without you, brother. And I think that was so just honorable to recognize because Pau had so much individual success with the Grizzlies back in the day, kind of similar to Kevin Garnett's days with the Timberwolves. And, and Pau just thrived with an individual dominance that never translated into a deep postseason run. And then, of course, he goes to the Lakers, and he's able to pick up multiple rings but because he had, you know, the Black Mamba alongside him um, and they were able to team up and, of course, you know, even beat my magic in 2009. And so I just love Pau Gasol getting up there and just shouting out somebody else's legacy who he recognizes was integral to bringing him up. 
Um, and then, yeah, back to the Spurs family for a second. Just, oh gosh, just so incredible. So many players who I honestly like just grew up watching. Like Becky Hammond is a beast. Like she was a beast in the WNBA. She was a beast for all those years. She was on the bench with Pop. And now she's destroying people as a head coach with the Las Vegas Aces back in the WNBA. And it was just cool to see her just recognize um, just her and Pop talk about their friendship, about just how much they mean to each other um, as friends and as co-workers and see how much Pop developed Becky and how much Becky has shaped who Pop is. And then Tony gets up there and Tony Parker's like, you've always been a second dad to me, Pop. And I just think there's something about that Spurs culture. I know we've talked about team culture on the pod before, Quinn. But I think there's just something about that Spurs culture that I think other teams need to be envious of because that's so different than... Um, the Brooklyn Nets bringing together Kyrie, Harden, and KD for like half a game total to play together. And so I just think this kind of Spurs culture that everybody says they their team's a family, but the Spurs, you can tell, really took the time to actually create a family, and it paid off with rings, and it also pays off when you can tell they're getting up there and not just saying nice things to say nice things. Like, these are actually people who have had a meaningful impact in each other's lives. Yeah, word. I think it'll be really interesting uh, with the Spurs, you know, with Wemby coming, how they kind of rebuild some of that family culture. Now, I think that there's there's some of it that still exists in terms of the the discipline and the commitment to one another, um, but they just haven't had the same talent uh, really since uh, Kawhi left, I guess. And so I, I'll be interested to see kind of how they, you know, kind of the personalities that they bring in. Um, just in these first two, three years, like that's just something to watch because I think it was so successful. They know what the ingredients are, um, but the ingredients need a mix and the cake's got to bake. So let's see what, what they produce. Moving on down to basketball is going on right now. It's not NBA basketball, Quinn, but FIBA basketball is going on as some of our favorite players are representing their home countries, which is always really sweet to see these guys play with guys of their own nationality and represent their country. And I think it's just an incredible experience. And as we know previously, Quinn, often playing for Team USA has particularly stirred up future trade and free agent signing requests as people realize they have chemistry um, with other players as far as enjoying their company and being friends. Um, and this season has just given us a lot of great things this summer. Um, Luca has been just dominating with Slovenia. Um, he didn't play, unfortunately, in their game against Team USA this week, which was such a bummer. Um, but in the games they have played with him, Luca has been a nightmare. I don't know if you saw this, Quinn, but Luca has come back this summer skinny. Like that's what they're calling it on social media. It's skinny Luca. And he is just scary because he's got even more speed now that it looks like he's gotten his conditioning down. And so it's been great to watch some Luca highlights, um, as well as Rudy Gobert hit his first career three for <laughs> France. And I'm not going to give you the quote that Rudy said about how incredible it was, because like you said before, Quinn, we're clean podcast. But let's just say Rudy Gobert was very excited that he hit his first career three. And so it's just great, like you said, Quinn, to see international players thriving. And I think you see that with players like Luca, Rudy Gobert. Team Canada's like loaded with NBA players like Shea, uh, Dylan Brooks, um, Shea Gilgis Alexander. And it's just really cool during this FIBA era this summer to see so many international players popping off. Well, I was like scrolling down Bleacher Report just for a few updates on FIBA and you know one headline said you know Jalen Brunson's 22 points on nine for nine field goals leads USA to a pre-world cup exhibition win blah 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 
And I was like, dang, Jalen Brunson showing out. That's awesome. And then the very next headline was RJ Barrett drops 31 for Canada. And I was like, dang, okay. The Knicks squad is really like, they're building something there. And whether they end up with Embiid or whether it's these guys, I, I think that they have something. And and that's what I, I love seeing even in summer ball where like you're able to anticipate and kind of speculate a little bit about certain players that are significantly improving teams where you're just like, you know what? I think these couple guys are getting it and they're going to be able to work together this year in a way that, you know, year two, year three of a certain coaching team of a coaching staff or um, certain players finally being together for an off season. Like, I think there's just, like you're saying, like those chemistry moments, um, even in FIBA basketball can be really significant. Yeah, Team USA has looked incredible this year, whether it's the main squad or the select kind of junior squad. It has just been loaded with excellent players and love to see how many people have committed this year to be playing for Team USA. And they've just been blowing people out by 20, 30 points so far. They're 2-0 in the tournament so far. And so it'd be great to see um, these guys kind of connect and level each other up as many of them never get to practice one another just because they live on all sorts of sides of the country. And so it's great to see how Team USA is shaping up so far and representing our country I really love opportunities for FIBA and the Olympics because there's just something cool about getting these guys together to play competitive ball because no offense, Quinn, I hate the all-star game because people don't take it seriously and it's not competitive basketball. They all, it's a layup, it's a layup line. Like here's my soapbox. I hate the layup line. That is the all-star game. And so that's why I love watching FIBA highlights and watching the Olympics, the summer Olympics every four years, because it's like these high quality players, like all-star almost caliber players. And they're actually playing to win, which is completely different from the media spectacle that is the layup line, that is the all-star game. And so I'm going to continue to be enjoying wonderful FIBA highlights. Moving on down to two teams that maybe haven't won a championship in your team's case in a long time, Quinn, and my team's case, (laughs) never. Um, And that is the Portland Trailblazers and the Orlando Magic. This here is probably not even worth announcing, but here on the the pod, Quinn, we clearly are willing to discuss meaningful things, um, such as people getting traded and also not so meaningful things like Britney Spears getting slapped by Wimby's bodyguard. (laughs) And so this week, Quinn, this week, Yusuf Nurkic listed his mansion in Portland, Oregon for sale, and local Portland newspapers are worried that he's leaving because he put up his mansion for sale. Is this real news or fake? Or not worth talking about news, Quinn? Oh, it, I mean, it's definitely real news. Uh, you know, so he he lives in this kind of uppity part of of Portland, just south of Portland. There's this uh, town called Lake Oswego. And uh, so, you know, lots of mayors, you know, live there. It's got a nice, you know, I think it's like a $4.5 million state. And, you know, yeah, he's, um, he's, he's, he's selling that puppy. Um, why? Because he's going to get attached to the Lillard trade no matter what. I, I, I cannot foresee a scenario uh, based on the trade offers and speculation online that, that could come the Blazers way where we would also not get rid of Nurkic like we will do that and if that means that we get back one less first round pick or uh, we take a lesser player I I think that's definitely on the table now NBA 2k ratings would suggest that Nurkic is an 82 overall and starting quality center and I I I don't know about that he has with his attitude with his um, with his physical 
care of his body. Like, I think, I think there's just more questions than answers right now. And so um, I think the Blazers are going to be looking to get rid of him. Now, does that necessarily mean by him putting up his mansion for sale that he's going to, um, that, that, that there's been conversations already, you know, with the GM Joe Cronin or with Lillard or, or with other teams? No, I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. But as a clutch client, I think this guy knows what's in the water. He knows what's coming. And at some point, this is going to happen. Yeah, I think even just looking at the timeline, obviously he just doesn't fit the timeline as far as Scoot's age, as far as Simon's age. Nurk is from that kind of older era when you guys were trying to win a chip with CJ and um, Dame and Nurk kind of as the trio and the guys surrounding them. Maybe even Carmelo as recently as 2020. Um, And so, yeah, I think it just makes total sense for the Blazer fan base just to understand that, hey, you're going into, you know, a full rebuild with your young talent and Nurk is neither good enough nor young enough to really fit with keeping him on the team. And so it'd be interesting to see who the Blazers can bring in to be kind of the big of the future for them as they look forward to that rebuild. Flipping over to the Magic, uh, the Magic have been having some exciting play going on in FIBA uh, with Paul Bencaro looking excellent for Team USA. He's had some incredible blocks, um, some incredible dunks. It's just been a joy watching him ball out, reigning rookie of the year, um, as well as the Wagner brothers have been excelling for Germany, particularly Franz, of course, the better of the two brothers, um, as just putting on a show that just reminds people that he was slept on when he went 11th in his draft a couple years ago, and he was clearly, I think, worthy of almost being a top five pick in that draft. And so it's been great to watch some of my guys um, pop off in FIBA. But specifically getting into a topic that I, I technically don't really feel like is worth talking about, but because so many people on social media feel like they need to talk about it, I feel like we should speak to it in a moment, Quinn, and you mentioned it earlier. We're in the time of the year right now where everybody is talking about NBA 2K ratings as <laughs> their favorite players are underrated or overrated on NBA 2K. And specifically, Quinn, I'm bringing it up in this section because Magic Twitter is having a heyday because Victor Wimbanyama was rated 84 and Paulo Bencaro was also rated 84, and Magic Twitter is frustrated because Paulo Bencaro is the reigning rookie of the year who just averaged 20 points a game for a season, and Victor has yet to step out onto the court and had a kind of a mediocre um, summer league showing, and so Magic fans are just whining on Twitter, and I just, I see their content, and I'm just, like, Magic fans, like, get over it. Like, I lit, who cares what this guy Ronnie2k and his video game company think of your team? Like, we can go out and show people that we're excellent and I could care less about what some video game thinks about my team. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think you're you're not wrong. I also think though that the uh, the kind of the two K community is is part of what makes the conversations around basketball so fun, right? It's people who are following the NBA. It's people who are following players and teams, um, and and the game actually kind of continues that journey and that participation. And so, um, you know, what was interesting to me uh, looking at the NBA two K rankings is thinking if I can jump back to my Blazers. Uh, so you have Lillard, uh, who's top 12, right? So I, I won't even give numbers for where people are, are actually ranked, you know, 90-whatever overall, 80-whatever overall. But just in total ranking, right, he's number 12. And the next Blazer on the list does not show up until, let's 
see here. Uh, 74. So it, what we're saying here is that Anthony Simons is the 74th best player in the league, right? If we if we keep going down, the 93rd best player in Yusuf Nurkic or the 95th best player in Jeremy Grant. What's my point? Lillard does not have anybody playing with him, right? Other other teams have they've got two co-stars. They've got they've got you know a you know kind of the, the three-headed monster. They've got their you know at least somebody who's been in an all-star game. But the Blazers don't have that, and so. I look at it and it actually just makes me sad. It makes me sad because the future of the Blazers is rebuild. And we've talked about this on the pod, but it's rebuild time. Lillard's going to be gone. Um, he might he might play some of this season, but I, I mark my words, by the end of this season, I think he's gone. Yeah, for 2K fans going into 2K24, if they're going to play the Blazers, it's not because they're dying to play Jeremy Grant or Simons. It's because <laughs> they're enjoying... Um, playing as Dame Lillard, who's coming off, let me say this, the best statistical year of his career. This man is aging like CJ McCollum's fine wine company that he started, Quinn. Like, it's incredible to watch it. And so I don't play 2K. I mean, we've mentioned this before. I was an NBA Live fan who is now sad that that series is over. That's right. Um, That's right. Me too. But uh, it'd be interesting just as players and fans continue to debate whether or not their player got the right rating in my opinion you just need to uh, cheer on your real player and don't get overly hurt when some random company um, assigns a value to your player the real value is seen on the court but I was glad to see the real basketball going on that uh, team USA and these international players seem to be excelling in the summer basketball I think that's going to wrap it up for us today we'll catch you in the next one Players are not going to be a part of my life. I'm saying in four years, it's going to be the magic's time to shine because these great players who I love and respect, as they start to reach the kind of twilight sunset period of their time in the league, Quinn, I think the magic on me bursting on the scene at a perfect time. I'd say the same thing, honestly, for the Pacers with Tyrese. I'd say the same thing for the Thunder. Of course, one of our fan favorites, Quinn, the Rockets. I just think there's some of these young cores that are just on a great timeline because in three or four years, they're going to want to start contending. And in three or four years players like Steph and LeBron and Dame they're just not going to have the ability to contend at age 37 38 like the these younger teams are going to be able to contend and so as a lifelong Magic fan I'm excited to see if the timeline lines up where the Magic are going to be held back by these generational players who are currently dominating the league no doubt no doubt I agree I think that wraps it up for today's episode thanks for joining us today for another episode of Dime for O'Brien and we'll catch you in the next one